Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. The best marketing strategies is really a mix of a couple of different things. It's a mix of digital. The thing about digital is we just covered it. You get fast results, lots of data, but you're also going to get, you can spend endless amounts of money if you just only over rely on that channel. The second is content. Content, I think, is something that is amazing, but it requires a lot of thought and what is our differentiation? What's our storyline? How are we going to put it out? How are we going to distribute it? All this stuff we talked about you're not going to get instant results there. It's going to take weeks, maybe even months to start really seeing the results from that. But it's one of the best ways to really create that momentum in your business. And then finally, I think to really create that movement that people fall in love with, I think of community-based marketing. We are here with Robin Daniels. If you don't know Robin Daniels, he's a legend. He's been at some amazing companies and I'll let you tell you. But he was also, little known fact, one of my first guests. So if you go back way deep in the archives. He was one of the top 10 guests that started this podcast back two and a half years ago. So welcome back, Robert. Thanks, Daniel. Honestly, I remember our podcast so well. The pandemic had just started. You were launching this new thing called the Marking Millennials. We, we, we met on LinkedIn. I was still living in the US. It was before I took Matterport public as the CMO of that company. I mean, think about how much has changed since you and I last spoke. Now I'm living in Denmark. I'm no longer with Matterport, but we did take in public, which was really fun. Now I'm doing a little bit more, I would call it portfolio work, where I work with a bunch of great growth companies and helping them unlock their potential, both in their people, their programs, and certainly also in kind of their set of leadership. So it's, it's, it's really fun what I'm doing right now. And I feel like I get to use all the skills I've learned from my time at Salesforce, Box, LinkedIn, WeWork, Matterport, you name it, to really help these companies get to the next level. You heard Robin, he just na- name dropped like five crazy companies that he was led marketing at from Salesforce to WeWork and all Box. So I'm excited to jump into this. The first question I want to ask you, because we're, Marketing is going through a tough time right now, especially in B2B with budget cuts and let, ret- reduction in resources. How do you think about marketing in a downturn like this? First of all, don't freak out. This is the benefit of being a little bit older. I've been through a few recessions, first in 2000 with the dot-com crash, then of course in 2008 with the implosion of kind of the markets then. And then even I think most recently, when the pandemic hit, I think we forget about that, but that was a huge shock to the system where everybody freaked out as well. Yes, we're going through certainly some 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 really big challenges right now. And every dollar that is being spent, especially on marketing or go-to-market, I should say, is being scrutinized a little bit more. What that means is that you really have to have clarity and alignment on what it is that you're trying to achieve. The random acts of marketing that a lot of marketing teams end up doing they won't fly anymore. They, would, they just won't be accepted. I also think the brand campaigns that many companies wanted to do to create their category, maybe to even create their movement, are also going to be scrutinized more because let's be honest, it's very hard to measure the exact 
impact on a big brand campaign to revenue. It's not impossible. There's a lot of great metrics out there you can get, but anybody who tells you they can measure exact input or uh, output from a brand campaign to revenue is kind of, I think, full of it a little bit. I've never seen that happen. So what does that mean? I think it's going to mean that there's going to be a lot more focus on actually the putting out things that are directly measurable and that you know will lead to outcomes that will help grow the business in a sustainable and predictable way. So that means I think there's going to be more focus on on some of the things that are not completely out of the control of of a marketing team, meaning digital is going to be, I think, see still a big investment because it's probably the easiest to predict. We're going to put this much money into our digital spend and this is what the outcome is. But I also think this is the golden age of content. And in a you know environment where you have a limited budget, reduced budget, or maybe even no budget, Daniel, then then you know, focusing on creating differentiation through your storytelling, through great content, is really now is the golden time to do that. And and any company that I speak to, I highly encourage them to really think through this. And they many of them say, Oh yeah, yeah, we have a great story or it's differentiated. And then you really look look deeply into it. It's not. It sounds like you could put a competitor logo on it, or it's not differentiated enough, or it's not urgent enough. You know, if you come across as a nice to have or too similar to your competitors, it's going to be very hard to stand out. So you have to be super creative with your content. But now is the golden age of doing that. Content does not mean posting on your blog. Content can mean so many things: video, audio, interesting eBooks. You know, why don't I do a documentary? Maybe that gets picked up by Netflix. I mean, there's so many things you could do. Be creative about it. I think there's a lot of great creators out there who are rethinking both the creation of content, but also the distribution of it. And so I would highly recommend to any company right now who's going through that at these tough times, focus on on content. The next year or two is going to be huge for this. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on, because I was talking to Adam, who's the CEO of Workweek, and he we were talking about content specifically. And what happens in most recessions is that more people start wanting to upskill and learn because there's more fear of like either losing your job or stuff like that. And the best way to help people with that, that turns into is more people are going to start consuming more content, educational content from companies. So how do you think about that? Of like, I think that's a great way to convince like a leader or someone like, hey, our audience, if we really audience focus, this is a great way to start giving something to an audience that they actually need, which is like upskilling, feeling like they better their job, feeling like they have resources. So how, how do you think about that during like a downturn? You absolutely nailed it that a lot of people, they seek comfort in learning new things that they think they can use in the future. So, so I absolutely think that's right. But I think the way to think through this is really kind of map out all the different levels at which you are going to engage with your audience and how you're going to compete at each of these levels. Let me let me explain what I mean. I think that there are four levels of how you compete for business and for mindshare even. Number one is people get attracted to things that they can immediately use right away. So you're competing at the feature level. I want to know what this, you know, Zoom X foam and the Nike shoe is going to do for me. Like that's like a feature of their shoe. It's not the shoe itself. It's the feature of the shoe. They they market the Zoom X foam as like a game changer. And now they've got the carbon fiber plates and so on. So you got to compete at the feature level. Then you got to compete at the product level. Meaning, okay, 
the features that we have, what do they add up to at a product level? Is there something there that we can use that actually becomes more embedded into the workflow of what we're doing, either in your personal life or at work? Right? Bigger products that, that do exactly that. And you have many of these examples. Slack is a good I think, example of something that really won the product category of you know, you know, communication, team communication, and so on. You know, they had competitors, of course, but they just did it, I think, better than anybody else. Then the next level is really around, I would call it the category level itself, you know, the category of communication, the category of collaboration. You got to figure out, well, how do we compete at this level? You know, how do you become the category leader? The reason why you want to become the category leader is to become the default choice. When you're a category leader, it's the easy choice for anybody. And then finally, you can also compete to win the movement. Like the thing that people ultimately really fall in love with that becomes so embedded in the way we work and the way we live. So these are kind of the four levels I think you compete at. So at each of these levels, to come back to your question, I think you can do a couple of different things. You can differentiate you know, with your content. You can either try to educate or differentiate to win each of those different levels. And you can't do all four at once, only when you've suddenly reached a certain scale or trajectory and so on. But when you're just starting out, you got to figure out your path to ultimately move up the chain of competition. You know, I've seen lots of these small startup companies who instantly talk about the movement they're trying to create and the change in the world. And people just go, I have no idea what you're doing, right? It's like, I, tell me how you're going to make my life better every single day because they jumped the gun on trying to move up the chain too quickly. You could do that if you're an Apple, Airbnb, Tesla, you name it. They've already like proven themselves over decades that they can compete at all these different levels. So for for a startup, you know, if you're saying, okay, well, how do we, how do you educate people to ultimately fall in love with who you are and what you do and your, what your product is? Educational content at each of these levels, like how is this feature going to make my life easier? Like a small thing, as an example, expense management. I think Expensify did a phenomenal job and kind of like taking a feature that wasn't, I didn't think, I don't think that complicated. It's probably complicated to build. I don't want to shit on that, you know, but it was, seems fairly simple and a small feature, but they made it elegant and easy to use and so on. And over time, they kind of ended up dominating both the product level category of expense management. And then now like, they're like going bigger and like managing all your budgets and finances for companies. And so they've moving, they're moving up, but they didn't start there. If you start too quickly at, the, at such a high level, you're just going to lose people. So they were smart. They said, we're going to win on having the easiest to use product, something that you can use in your phone. It's simple, blah, 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 and so on. And so I think if, if you're at this stage where you're thinking through, well, how do I get people to really like, over this period of time, you said, you know, the next year, two years, three years, as we're going through maybe a downturn, how do I get them to kind of fall in love with who we are? Think about your journey of moving your customers through these different stages. And then ultimately, that leads to hopefully people, if you do it well, falling in love with your brand and becoming loyal. And the reason to move up that that chain is because the higher up you move, if you dominate the category or the movement, guess what? It leads to better revenue and more loyalty. If you're only competing ever and you stay in the feature level, the moment a better feature comes along, guess what, Daniel? I'm going to switch, right? Because you haven't earned the loyalty. So loyalty becomes higher the further up you move. So at each of these levels, so again, coming back to your question, think about the content that you use to get people to go along with you on the journey. And that doesn't happen quick. Is this the other thing that I think companies need to understand, especially I want to tell this to CEOs, VCs, you name it, who hopefully are also listening to this podcast. 
this takes time to do. Right now, you're in a moment where you're going to cut budgets. Think about how you're going to spend the next year or two educating your market and move them through this cycle. How does this change by how mature the market is versus not mature? Because, like, yeah. for example, shoes, it is a really mature market. So it's a different strategy to, there's already a market there. You just have to compete on compete on brand really because it is a commodity but then a, a product that's coming out that nobody knows like there's no category for it yet there's no nobody knows what it is yet how do you think of those two situations differently where like expensing is something that everybody knows where like there might have not been like an easy category with it which is great but like something that is like now like AI became like a category. Like, how would you have thought of it before AI was like even a thing? Like people are just like learning what what do you what is AI? What is the possibility? Is it it's an excellent question because this is where I think so many companies we've been seduced, I think, in the last honestly decade or two to talk so much about purpose or mission or vision, right? You know, said so many companies are leading with that. And I think that's great, honestly. If you're trying to attract employees to your company course, tell about the vision of what you're trying to build that's going to change the world. If you're talking to investors, absolutely talk about the movement you're creating to change the world. Absolutely. But guess what? When you're talking to customers, they don't, they really care less. You know, initially, of course, over time, they want to buy into something bigger. So you want to start by competing at that, those lower levels, feature level or product level. Like you got to have something. We have the best sipper you know, that well, that is the most rainproof jacket that you're ever going to buy in your life. Or, you know, like all birds did it really well, right? Like the most comfortable shoes you'll ever wear. They couldn't go in and say that they were you know, the most advanced shoe or they dominated the shoe categories from the beginning. It was incredible, right? They started with a, one feature, right? Which I call like the, the comfort level. They found something that they could, I think, really focus on. Both it was sustainable, it was comfortable. That was kind of their USP at the time. And since then, they've kind of moved up and started dominating that category of like, now, you know, Amazon started copying them and came out with their clone of a sh all bird shoe. And now they're, they're obviously aiming higher, but they're not there yet because they haven't been going long enough. They, I wouldn't say they're dominating the shoe category. That would be completely false. They've moved already from feature to product level winner. I think they're going in that direction. And if you spend enough time and you focus enough on it, you can easily move up to dominating the category, even the movement. Another good example, let's take Salesforce, a company I know well, I used to work there. It wouldn't have been credible for Salesforce in the beginning to come in and say, we are the category leader for CRM. They had to find something that they could use to compete against Microsoft, Oracle, you know, SAP, and so on. And so we had a few features that we did really well, but also our really main differentiator was that we were cloud-based in those early days. We really started winning at that level, first to kind of the feature level war. And then we moved out to really having a better CRM product. So we started winning that that category as well. But over time, we just became the category leader because we expanded the ecosystem to have all these different tie-ins you could have. So it wasn't just you were buying a Salesforce CRM system, you were really buying a platform. But Salesforce from the beginning were always aiming higher. They wanted to create a full movement around Salesforce as a company where whole careers are made you're buying into an ecosystem of apps, you know, so you, you, it becomes infinitely expandable. You can even build your own apps and so on. But again, that's been a 20-year journey-ish to kind of like maybe 15, 20-year journey to get there. They had to kind of win 
the hearts and minds by moving up and proving their value to companies or individuals over time. And I think they've done just that. So you see this at, at a lot of different levels. I mean, Dropbox is the same. Asana is the same. You know, they came out with a very specific thing around, what was it called? I think first wor workforce tracking or project management. And now they're kind of like, they really want to be kind of the operating system for how work gets done, right? But they didn't start there. So you have to move up. And then content plays a key part because you have to educate your buyer and the market at every step of this kind of journey that you're going on. Everything we've been saying or you've been saying comes down to one thing is starting to reduce your focus in every level from marketing to sales to product to because like what you said with even Allbirds, right, is Allbirds focused on one thing, being great at the comfortable shoot, and they connected marketing. Marketing was aligned with that. They they went full force on that. Um, the website went full force on that. Like the go-to-market strategy was limited focus. A lot of time what happens, and this happens in a lot of marketing, is like you do a lot of things that don't equal and a positive output instead of just like shrinking your focus and finding like that one or two things to be the best at that. And because if you could do that, it's you just create content around like a small base of things instead of like, like 10 things at once. So that's exactly right. And I think you nailed on something really important. I would say bigger companies do this better, but not always. Small companies, they tend to pivot too quickly. Honestly, they don't have conviction enough in their strategy. So every six months they change it. And guess what? It'll just confuse your buyer. But it's a hard one to balance, right? Because I also don't want to think you shouldn't be agile. Agility is a key part of having a modern business. But if you're changing your messaging and you go to market every three months, six months, you're just going to confuse your buyer. I mean, building a brand or, or winning one of these levels of competitions requires definitely focus, but also consistency and time. It doesn't just happen overnight. This is, I think, the tension that you're seeing a lot with, I think, marketing teams today is that they're being asked, most marketing teams, we want to create this category, we want to build this brand that people fall in love with, but we also need results right now is what the board and the CEO and the rest of the executive team is saying. And they're not completely opposed, but they are hard to balance those two and also have the trust and the faith that this takes time to, to actually put out content, to create a brand that people fall in love with. doesn't happen in days, weeks, or even quarters. We're really talking years, and very few people have the, the, the patience to do so. But all the brands that, if I ask you, Daniel, tell me three brands you love, five brands you love, it's probably brands that have been actually going for quite a while. You know, oh, I love Patagonia, I love Airbnb, I love, you know, Gong, but they've been like very consistent actually in how they've kind of gone to market for a long time. Yeah, they they modify, of course, to be more relevant and to what's happening in the market and so on, but they're fairly consistent time after time after time. That's really hard to do, especially as a marketing team where we're used to just constantly <laughs> pivoting to the latest, hottest thing. I've even struggled with that. I mean, many times when I haven't had I think enough of a strong voice. I've also probably jerked my team around and like, oh, now we got to go after this. And it's a hard thing to kind of like stay the course, you know, stay on target, like they say in, in, in Star Wars, <laughs> stay on target, stay on target. What's so great about at least the digital age is you can test a bunch of messaging with paid to prove out content faster, which people forget that you could spend a few dollars on 
Facebook and stuff like that to test, <laughs> is this positioning right? Is this positioning right? Well, who's re- resonating with that? And then you can put that in organic. But a lot of times organic and paid and work together and messaging doesn't align. So I think there's ways to do it at a cheaper level to figure out the the gear because what paid basically is just guaranteed distribution. That's what paid is. It's like Completely. organic is is all over the place. You never know. But organic takes time and consistency. Where like paid, you could say, I want to deliver this message to this audience of this time. And then you could do that. You could easily this is why I love digital as well. I think the results are a little mixed because you end up getting a lot of, I think, noise and it's probably you 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 can get a lot of great quality inbound, but you can also honestly get a lot of crap as well. But I love it for the fact that like exactly what you said, exactly you said it perfectly. It's fast and it gives you a lot of data to go and optimize your go for plan. I mean, if you want to start something Monday or Tuesday, by the end of the week, you'll have a ton of data and you don't have to put that much money into it. You get results and great data virtually instantly. And that should be a guide that you can go to your CMO, maybe your board, maybe your CEO and say, here's what we're going to do based on the data that we're seeing. And you, like you said, you don't have to spend $100,000 to do so. You can spend $500, $1,000. give you super cheap, super quick. People forget that. I think you're right. Like This is the best way to test something instantly, nearly. Yeah, exactly. Like with my newsletter, for example, before we launched, we tested four or five messages on paid to what we we're going to go to market of launch of like what messaging and we picked the messaging that got resonated with the most people converting through the funnel and resonating with that message and we didn't spend a lot to do you always can iterate the top of funnel but you can get that messaging pretty quickly by just testing before you launch a campaign or something just with a small audience what is a marketing kill you would die on if we're only going to rely on one tactic to build a holistic strategy, I would absolutely die on the hill that this is not the right way. I think the best marketing strategies is really a mix of a couple of different things. It's a mix of digital because you get, get the, the thing about digital is we just covered it. You get fast results, lots of data, but you're also going to get, you can spend endless amounts of money if you just only over, rely on that channel. And also a lot of, I think, especially in B2B, you can get a lot of crap inbound, which means that you're wasting either money or trust with your sales team by giving them stuff that's not the best quality. The second is your content. Content, I think, is something that is amazing, but it requires a lot of thought in what is our differentiation, what's our storyline, how are we going to put it out, how are we going to distribute it, all the stuff we talked about. You're not going to get instant results there. It's going to take weeks, maybe even months to start really seeing the results from that. But it's one of the best ways to really create that momentum in your business. And then finally, I think to really create that movement that people fall in love with, I think of community-based marketing, word-of-mouth marketing, event marketing, where you get either in front of your, your customers or prospects or they self-organize you know, and you help you know, like, like encourage that. Like self-organizing communities, word-of-mouth one of the best ways to create lo- love and loyalty. But guess what? That also takes the longest of all of them. But that's where you're going to get your best customers, your most loyal customers, and so on. That takes longer time to do. So you got digital, which is fast. You got, I think, organic and content marketing, which is like a medium speed. And then you got like this like loyalty, community marketing takes a little bit longer. A good marketing strategy has to be all of them in my mind. Like I would say if a 
somebody says you can just only do one of these, you're already setting up the team to fail. Like, yes, you can, of course, if you just want to create a transactional brand, nobody really cares about the moment something better comes along. Yeah, just invest all your money, I think, in digital. But if you want to create a brand that really stands the test of time, which again, a lot of companies come to me and say they want to do, then you have to invest in all three. It can't be one or the other. But it's not it's not only one of them, because if you only invest in loyalty marketing, word of mouth marketing, you know, community marketing, you're not going to see the short-term results either from that. That takes too long. You have to be able to balance it and dial one up or down. So to clarify, the hill I would die on is absolutely to have to choose one and not do all of the ones to actually create these legendary companies. Going in a little deep in that is I've seen a lot of people invest heavily in digital and what ended up happening, because good marketers know how to execute a digital campaign and capture the demand that's already in the market that's happening. Great marketers know how to create a story in the market and bring new customers or change the minds of people who are going to go to their customer and come to to them. But the only way to do that, and I've seen this plenty of times, is when people don't invest in these brand efforts or these community efforts is when you go talk to a customer and or the sales team goes talk to the customer, they, they're like, who, who are you? What do you do? And you have the the sales team spends more time educating the buyer than <laughs> actually actually trying to sell them. Marketing's job is to make that process way easier for sales. So, but but it also requires there's there's one thing we don't talk enough about in marketing is it requires courage and conviction to invest in some of these things that are a little bit harder to measure. And when the conversation I see it a lot online, oh, don't work for a CEO doesn't get marketing. I think it needs to be reframed as. Don't work for a CEO who doesn't support marketing because that's really what we're talking about. I, I don't expect a CEO to understand all the nuances of marketing. I don't expect a CPO to do so. Just like I don't understand how to build great products in the same way or I don't, I don't understand finance the same way. But at the same time, I think you have to work for a CEO and a board and executive team that really loves and supports marketing. And is understanding the journey that you need to take to get to that point. I've myself been in the situation and I've seen it too many times where we default to the things that becomes the most measurable. And then you spend a whole year just investing in those channels. And then a year later, like, well, why haven't you seen any movement on brand? Well, because you didn't invest in it. And why? Because it's a little harder to do so. You know, investing in the right content, the brand strategy, it requires a little bit of that courage and conviction to actually go for it. And I think that's, we're getting into a territory where that's a little uncomfortable for a lot of boards, and especially of course, in a time like this. But at the same time, you don't wanna waste a good crisis. If we're gonna be in in a downturn for a while, now's the time to stand out and differentiate by investing in in great storytelling. I still think, as I said at the beginning of the our chat, big brand investments, I think are gonna be hard to pull off. So I would heavily, heavily invest in, in content and storytelling. But it, even that, I think, requires the buy-in from the rest of your peers at the executive level and go and say, here's what we're going to do and here's the plan over the next six to 12 months to actually build up this momentum. So we're going to win the product war, the category, you name it, and so on. 
I heard this from someone, but the best companies during a recession are the ones that triple and quadruple down on marketing because exactly. they, they're the ones that can come out with a story, a brand. Because a lot of people, what you said, are going to do what you said is not de-invest in brand, de-invest in content, only go digital, which is a really quick result. You can get revenue through the door, but at the end of the day, like when you a year or two later, nobody's going to know. Still doesn't know, know your name and know who <laughs> exactly. you are. So. Exactly, and especially if you're in a competitive category, which let's be honest, a lot of categories these days are hyper competitive, right? Anything from collaboration to communication to revenue optimization to you name it, right? This feels like categories are getting quite crowded. Now's the time to really differentiate yourself. Like the ultimate test, and it sounds so cheesy, but if you can put any other competitive logo on what you're saying, obviously you've not done a good enough job of of differentiating yourself. And I think so many companies, they think they have because they're inside their own bubble and they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. They're like, oh yeah, we're different. We say something different. We use this word instead of that word. Like, okay, so that's what you're using to differentiate yourself. You know, it's like- you need to go way deeper and actually spend the time. I remember when I was working with Aaron Levy at Box, you know, one of my, my favorite people I was working for. And we were just I was working with him and Whitney, who was the the CMO, and Jolie, who was the running analyst relations. We spent like three months in a room trying to define both what our category, what we wanted it to be, and also how we're gonna to go to market and attack it. And I think companies spend way too little time. They like they have one meeting and like, okay, we're, we're done. We're solved. Now let's go execute. Like this requires some pretty deep thinking, I think, to actually go and figure out how you're going to differentiate compared to everybody else. And think about Box was competing with Dropbox and Google and Microsoft, you know, on storage and file sharing and so on. Really like thinking like, how do we stand up? The thing we settled on a lot was security and mobile. Those were the things that we were like said we wanted to, to to really own the messaging around that. Like we had the most secure app. Like Dropbox was more around consumer at that time, and so were the others. They weren't really like tested yet, and we were the best on mobile devices. You know, this was the rise of iPads and iPhones and so on. Like if you're going to do collaboration and work on the go, we wanted to be seen as the number one choice for this. So you got to like define your your kind of like strategy in a way that is defensible and ownable by you. And also when you define that go-to-market strategy, then usually like the CEO comes up with the, where you go, but it aligns every part of the org. So like product knows like, okay, let's double down on making the most secure app and the most mobile first app. Like sales knows like that's the pitch that you're going to give your, so everybody in the org is on the same page. But if you do, you come up with like, when I went to Salsa this year, I saw five people in the same category say they're the number one in the category. Like that was <laughs> in the same category, say they're the number one in that category. Yeah, like, So like then that's a differentiator, like, oh, we're the number one, whatever software in the category. And like, that's how they different. They didn't take time to like say how they actually different. They just yeah. decided to stop on where the best or where the, the number one, which is hilarious. Last question I want to go for you is someone comes gives you advice right now, they're just starting their marketing career. What's a piece of advice you would give them that they would come back to you a few years later and thank you for? Take initiative. You will always get rewarded for taking initiative. It's hard to like pinpoint exactly what that initiative is because I don't know your career journey, but this is how you create 
liftoff and momentum in your life and in your career by taking initiative. If you just do what you're being asked to do, you can get rewarded. You'll get good projects and so on, especially if you're a superstar. But taking initiative, especially when you're just starting out, going above and beyond is something you will benefit from from the rest of your life because you'll be seen as creating this momentum around you. I always say there are three ways to get promoted, to get ahead, basically. Number one is you have to meet your goals that have been set out for you. Whether you've set them out yourself or your boss has set them out for you, you have to meet those goals. But not just that, Daniel, you have to actually exceed your goals. Like just meeting your goals, that's kind of basic, but you have to exceed them. That's number one. Number two, operate like you're already at the next level. Not like a jerk, not arrogant in any way, but take ownership of like your career and start you know, collaborating, operating, thinking at the next level. So if you want to go from, let's say, an assistant to a marketing manager or a marketing manager to director, what do those people who are at the next level do that you can model to get there? So that's number two, operate like you're at the next level. And then number three, create a chorus of support around you. And that happens by taking initiatives, going above and beyond, being helpful, collaborative, going into other teams and saying, I see that this is not happening or this is a problem or I can help here. It will always be reward because I can guarantee when then people are sitting around a table as executives usually do to figure out who's going to get promoted or get to the next level. It's never a singular decision. It's never one person just deciding. It's usually you know, a group of people sitting around a table and then, you know, Daniel's name comes up. And I can always guarantee, I've seen this movie so many times. And when people go, yeah, you know, Daniel seems like a nice guy, but I'm not really sure what he does. You know, is he is he adding value? Th that conversation's not going to end in a promotion for, for you. But when the conversation goes and your name comes up, oh, Daniel, oh, he's awesome. Yeah, my team loves working with him. He's a superstar. Yeah, he, he's like always there. He's helpful. He really delivers a lot of value. You know, he helped out this team member or that team. I can always tell that the conversation is, is trending in the right direction. And it happens usually by somebody taking initiative and going above and beyond. So that's what I would say. I mean, it kind of sounds that you have to internally market yourself and sell yourself. So if you're doing that, like make sure like you are do, doing that. And also a lot of people that I know that have got promoted in their career always like come up with like something new. They pitch it to like- That's right. Uh, they boss or something and they take on that project and then that project sets them apart from everybody else. The idea of internal marketing, I'm a big fan of it, but I also think you have to be a little bit conservative with it because it could easily come across as too self-serving or too much about you as a person. I think the best people are always the people we're talking about the team and what the team has accomplished, even though, of course, everybody knows, wow, it was Susan who did this. Like she was the rock star, but yeah. But her just talking about this being a team effort and so on reflects well. I think the best people who rise to their, their ranks are always shining lights on other people. But it's like a, a soccer team and we just had the World Cup. You know, yeah, it's a team effort, of course, to win any game, but there's always some superstars in there. You don't have to like scream about it. Everybody knows who those people are, right? And it's the same by going above all. Yes, a little bit of like self-promotion is good, but not too much. Then it also just comes across as too self-serving. And I always think the best marketing is just helping others. So yes, like, yes. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you're if you're helping others and being that person to help others, then you're going to like marketing doesn't have to be feel like it's promotional. If you're helping people around you, you that's part of yourself. Like the best people 
in personal brands is just showing up. The people who show up consistently. Where could people find you? Where could people find Robert Daniels? Definitely on LinkedIn. I uh, post a lot. I'm a serial poster, maybe to my <laughs> to my own detriment, but I do post a lot. LinkedIn is a great place to find me. Connect with me there. Reach out to me if I can help you in any way. You know, love to hear from you if, if you need advice, guidance, help with anything. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not as prolific on Twitter. Um, those are the two best places to find me. Yes, he's he's prolific everywhere. So that he's just <laughs> trying to not he's trying to not be promotional right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'd rather have you promote me, okay, dude? It feels better. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I can't wait to do this again in a couple of years, you know, for our third outing. Episode 200-something. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, Talk to you later. See you, brother. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.